The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, October 3rd, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life, she can rest so easily She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you Hello everybody and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, wow, and my co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Well, we have a very, very special show today. I have a very special guest joining me in the studio is Sarah Curlow. She is an advocate for domestic violence prevention, and she is also a survivor of domestic violence. We will be talking about uh, domestic violence and the Family Court Awareness Month, which will be happening next month in November. First time I ever heard of this, the Family Court Awareness Month, which will be happening next month. Very, very interesting and very important as women that we know about that. You know, just a little history about what is the Family Court Awareness Month. Well, it was created in 2020 by a woman by the name of Tina Within. She was the founder of One Mom's Battle. The goal of Family Court Awareness Month is to shine a spotlight on systematic issues that are placing children in harm's way. In collaboration with Sandra Rose of the California Protective Parents Association, the integral year was uh, memorialized with a cross-country tour that started in California and ended in North Carolina. Oh, my God, were there having all that horror going on there. Along the way, within, uh, they stopped in seven major cities to meet uh, with media and uh, uh, also domestic violence advocates and family court professionals and with the survivors of post-separation abuse. Oh, amazing, all these things. And it's a, gr- a group of women coming together to protect women. And so if you if you need any history, just go on the, uh, a little more history, just go on your computer and uh, typed in uh, uh, Family Court Awareness Month. And it was declared November would be the whole month. To, it's, I hate to use the word celebrate, but maybe celebrate the awareness that we are becoming more and more aware of what is happening to women, not only in our country, but across the globe. I mean, I cannot believe that this Iranian, uh, Iranian woman uh, in in Iran are burning their, I guess it's hijabs, as hundreds protest the death of a woman by the name of Marcia Amina, A-M-I-N-I. And what's so interesting about this, this young woman was arrested, I cannot believe this, by the moral police. Can you believe that? The moral police? Can you imagine in the United States, once they say we can't have birth control, we can't have abortion, and all of a sudden we have to cover our heads? And then they have the moral police that are going to arrest us because maybe a little bit of our hair is is showing? You know, that's a good example of taking away your choice. And it's the most important thing that women can have is the choice over their own bodies. 
if we don't have the choice over our own bodies, we don't have any choice over anything, to be honest with you. I mean, all of a sudden, they're going to start dictating to us, you know, how how are we going to, you know, how we're not going to have birth control pills, we can't have abortion, you know, we have to have X amount of children. I mean, it's going to go on and on. And if, if we are not careful as women, that is what is going to happen. And we have to be very, very much aware of that. Well, I have a real important announcement to make for you folks out in Healdsburg. Uh, what's going to happen, the Healdsburg City Council is going to be a candidate form and town hall, and it's supported by the AAUW, which is a organization for women in in the uh, in education, and the Hillsburg City Council Candidate Forum and Town Hall is sponsored by the Hillsburg American Association of University Women and hosted by the Raving Theater. The event is free, so come and listen. It's going to be uh, on. Uh, it's going to be happening. Let's see what date. October sixth at six thirty p.m. It's going to be at the Healdsburg Performing Arts Theater doing business as the Raven Performing Arts Theater, and that's 1115 North Street in Healdsburg, California. We have to go and listen to our candidates. One has to recognize that these are the people that make decisions for us right here in our own county. Well, there's another big celebration that's going on that I think is really exciting, and that's we're going to, they're asking you to join them for a barbecue. That's the Athena House group. And, you know, Athena House got funding, and it, they're going to be together we, stay, together we Saved Athena House. Definitely a community event, and it demonstrates that once the community come together, especially the communication, the community of women, when they come together and say, this is going to happen, we are not going to close this facility. And a big shout out to Poppy Bank for coming forward and supporting this effort. And we're going to be having a celebration that's going to be Saturday, October 8th. It's going to be at the Rincon Valley Community Park. And you can go ahead and look up that on the internet. That's the Rincon Valley a community park and if you have any questions or you want to find out any information you go ahead and uh, call them at 707-596-1701 another exciting event i mean i'm just thrilled about this because i, I personally know the person this is, this is happening to but this is an event that's happening in november so mark your calendars for november uh 3rd 2022 from 8 30 to 10 a.m going to be a breakfast. I'm one of these people. I don't get up that early, but I'll try to make this one. It's going to be at the Creek Kitchen, and the address is 317 Healdsburg Avenue in Healdsburg. And what it is, it's a little, let me give you a little history. It's an award ceremony. And this year, each year, the Health Foundation presents the Wetzel Awards to highlight individuals who demonstrate a commitment to improving health and health equity in our community. The Wetzel Community Leadership Award and Spirit uh, Spirit of Wetzel, I love that name, Wetzel, W-T-Z-E-L, award, are named for the, uh, for the late Maggie and Harry Wetzel, longtime friends of the Healthcare Foundation and generous members of, the, uh, of our community. And I'm excited to uh, announce that this year's award is two people that I know personally. Uh, the Leadership Award is going, boy, 
going to be given to Herman J. Hernandez, a wonderful human being who's very, very in part, very involved in our community. And then the Spirit of Wetzel Award recipient is one of my favorite women friends, Bernice Espinosa. And it was so interesting. Yesterday, we had a memorial uh, for our dear friend, uh, Kathleen Finnegan, who made her transition, another uh, activist. And here I wrote the, the press release here to do the announcement. And there's Bernice. She showed up, and I was able to congratulate her. So congratulations to Bernice Espinosa. She won the Spirit of Wetzel Award. And it's really very exciting to acknowledge people. Why is it important to acknowledge? Because when you acknowledge knowledge people and they make a speech and they let you know what they went through to do what they've done. It gives all of us a lot more courage. Well, that's a lot. There's no reason that we should be bored in our community. There are so many things going on. Anyway, today is, uh, as we do every, every Monday morning, our history is our strength, and I want to repeat once again, why do we do our history is our strength? Because we are standing on the shoulders of many, many powerful women, and their struggles are our struggles. And my, my, my attitude is, if they can do it, I can do it. I know when I'm in, in a challenge or something, who do I think of? I think of Ida B. Wells, a woman who went into the South and was reporting on lynchings. I mean, can you imagine that? A black woman going into the South uh, reporting on lynching. What a what what risk she took. And I thought, well, if Ida B. Wells can do these things, I can do the little things that I do. And another person is Polly, Dr. Polly Murray, who was very, very instrumental in bringing forward many, many uh, human rights issues. In fact, on uh, October 17th, the nowsonomacounty.org. You can go on their website, nowsonomacounty.org. We're going to have a special Zoom, and we're going to be presenting the niece the niece of Polly Murray, Rosita Stevens Holy, and I'm telling you something, I can't wait. So if you want any information about that particular Zoom on October 17th, you can go to two places. You can go to www.womenspaces.com or you can go to the now sonomacounty.org website. And all the information about the Zoom, all the different codes, etc., that, that's where they are. That's now Sonoma county.org looking forward i'm looking forward to that uh to that zoom i am really really excited about it well let's let's talk a little bit about here it is october 3rd and what happened in october 3rd in 1904 mary mcleod butane opens the first school for african-american students in daytona beach florida can you imagine that in 1904 this woman decides to open up a school in Florida for African-American children. Amazing, amazing, amazing event. And then on October 4th, 1993, this was another exciting date. Ruth Bader Ginsburg joins the U.S. Supreme Court as its second woman justice on the court. And what an amazing woman she was. What an impact that she made. And then 
another one of our favorites, you know, and, and unfortunately, most of these women have already passed on, but we still left their legacy. We still have all kinds of recordings and books and all kinds of things that we can investigate. And one of my favorite, favorite writers and really an inspiration to me is Toni Morrison. And on October 8th, 1993, she became the first African-American woman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature. Wow, what accomplishments these three women made. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, they're born in 1904. This happened, Mary McLeod was 1904, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1993. You know, we got the boat in, uh, in 1920, so it took almost how many years before we could even get a woman on the Supreme Court? And then, of course, Toni Morrison, what an impact she had. Well, also, another thing that's very interesting, we have some great, great birthdays. And birthday on October 3rd, which is today, the woman was born in 1897, made her transition in 1982. Now, can you imagine, this woman was born in 1897 when women were considered as property. I mean, we had no rights at all. We had even, didn't even have any rights to our children. And still, they were able to accomplish things. And this was happy birthday to Ruth Bonson, Bureau of Indian Affairs official who got loans for Indian students, National Congress of American Indians, forced authorities to honor treaties in 1994. And she wrote, Indians are people too. Well, happy birthday, Ruth Bronson. And she was born in 1897, made her transition in 1992. Now, just imagine what it took for her to stand up, to even write this book, you know, Indians Are People Too, you know, really expressing herself, letting, her, letting the folks know exactly what she thought and what she felt. And this is another woman that I'm telling you, when I think about her, when I think about what she went through and the beatings that she took for her people, for freedom. She was born October 6, 1917, and she made her transition in 1997. That's Fannie Lou Hamer, civil rights leader and board voting rights crusader. She helped to organize the Mississippi Freedom Summer in 1964. And I remember that was the year that my daughter was born, 1964. That was the year I remember they had the Watts riot, the people were rioting in the streets. And I remember all the issues that were going on around civil rights and the voting rights. And for what? For what? For our constitutional right to vote. You know, that's what makes it. That's what makes a country strong is the fact that we can vote. So let me tell you a little bit about Fannie Lou Hamer because she is. She is really, a really a hero of mine. Fannie Lou Hamer was born in 1917, and she made her, oh, wait a minute, 1917 to 1977, right? She made her transition in 1977. She was a civil rights activist whose passionate depiction of her own suffering in a, suffering in a racist society helped focus attention on the plight of African Americans throughout the South. In 1964, working with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee it was called SNCC. I remember that when they first when they first organized SNCC, and all of a sudden the petitions that were going out. It was amazing. Hammer helped organize the 1964 Freedom Summer African American Voter Registration Drive in her native Mississippi. 
at the Democratic National Convention later that year. She was part of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, an integrated group of activists who openly challenged the legality of Mississippi's all-white segregation delegation. And Fannie Lou Hamer is uh, famous for her hometown of Realville, Mississippi, is there's a thing inscribed with her famous quote, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I remember that quote so well. I am tired of being sick and tired. And that's the way I feel. I mean, that's the way I feel. I am tired. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I was watching the news this morning. I turned on to YouTube. That's where I get a lot of my news lately. And I began to look at the devastation that happened in Florida. My heart, I couldn't believe it. There was this one gentleman that got on there, and he was crying. He said, I've lost everything. I need help. I need help. I mean, the devastation there is beyond anything that I have seen. I mean, some of the most beautiful beaches have just been wiped out. And I was so amazed at some of the homes and some of the damage and some of the desperation people have, especially people who have limited income. You know, in Florida, you have like, it looks like there's the, it looks like there's the lower income and then you got the higher income. You got these really fancy, beautiful homes. And guess what? Nature did not discriminate, just came in and just wiped out whatever there was there to be wiped out. But what made me so sad what made me really in the deepest part of my heart when I was thinking about for over 40 years, almost 50 years now, we've been talking about climate change. We've been predicting that these kind of storms would happen. The military itself said one of the biggest threats to our national security is climate change. And there we are. We saw it right on television, right in films. We saw the devastation. We saw Waves of 30 feet high, winds of 150 miles an hour. All this has been predicted. And there's still a slim chance, there's still a slim chance that we can clean up a lot of these things. But we still have politicians who are what we call climate deniers. We still have comet, uh, politicians that are pushing the oil companies and the, the pollution in the air. I mean, it, it just, it breaks my heart when I think about it. And there's an, old, there's an old saying, there but for fortune, go you or I. I mean, I remember sitting in my living room. Here I go and I sit back and I'm relaxing, you know, and I turn the television on to watch the news. And then there's this 30-second 30, this 30 earthquake that happened in Sonoma County. And all of a sudden, when I saw my house going back and forth, I thought, oh, my God, I hope it doesn't come apart. Is this the big one? Is this the big one that they're, they're telling us about? Well, in 30 seconds, it passed. Well, in Florida, it didn't pass in 30 seconds. It lasted for hours and hours and hours. And because of climate change, when the storm came in, usually they came in fast, so they don't rip out as quickly as, they, as this one did. But because of climate change and because of the way the warming of the oceans and the way that the atmosphere is, when the storm came in, it went across the, it went across the state very slowly. And so it could dump more and more and more rain. So it was absolute devastating flooding. And then going into South Carolina, oh, 
I mean, the devastation is beyond the pale. And we have to start thinking about this, and we have to start pushing our politicians locally. You know, here we have in Healdsburg, they're going to be having a debate and a discussion with the people that are running for city council. We need to listen to these people. These are the people that govern our lives. These are the people that make the decisions. These are the people that say we're going to work with climate change. We're going to work on, on human rights. These are the people that represent us. You know, and then there's an old saying, follow the money. So if you're getting all these fancy, you know, these fancy little brochures telling you about how great the guy is, ask yourself, who is supporting them? How are they going to take care of the future for our children? How are they going to work on climate change? Or in our county particularly, we're trying to get some accountability with law enforcement. You have to ask yourself these questions. And start asking other people the questions. You know, there are so many. The League of Women Voters comes out. They don't take a stand about uh, voters, you know, who, what you should vote on. But they definitely explain to you all the initiatives in a language that you could understand. Also, the Democrats and the Republicans also, they come out with lists and they do an analysis of all the different people that are running and who you might vote for. And you have to think about these things and talk about your friends. And take a moment, even though we're all busy, I know we're all busy, I'm busy too, but take a moment to listen to your candidates. Ask them questions. Ask them, what are they going to do for your children? What are they going to be doing for the future? Who's representing them? You know, who are they going to represent? Are they representing we the people, our personal interests? that are getting them elected. You know, as we're watching more and more on television and through the radio, through the media, how how people are so desperate to hold on to power, they don't care about we the people. It becomes secondary. But the idea is when we vote somebody in, it's to serve us. They're not, we don't believe in kings and queens. We believe in we the people. We believe in we have the right to be represented. So it's very important. And also there's that old, that old saying, oh, your vote doesn't count. I, heard, I remember hearing that on and on. And, oh, your vote doesn't count. So, you know, a lot of people stayed away from the poll. Well, I want to ask you a question, folks. If our vote didn't count, how come they work so damn hard so we don't have the opportunity to vote? You know, why did they keep African Americans away from the polls? Because they knew they made vote for people who represent them because they needed representation. So there's a lot to think about. And we've got an election coming up right now. And it's very important. There's some very important issues on the table right now. And we really need to be careful. And I'll tell you the thing that shocks me the most. And I have to say this. The thing that shocks me the most that I hear out of the mouths of some of I'm not going to name the party. You know what I mean. Some of the ignorance that comes out of their mouths. And that people are paying attention, are paying attention to some of the racist remarks. I mean, I am not a fan of Mitch McConnell and his wife Elaine Child, but I'll tell you something. I feel I feel outraged that they would insult her as a woman. She made she's made her way up the ladder of success. She deserves some respect, not to be called the names that she was called by. I'm not going to name the person because I don't even want to give that name any credit. Well, anyway, that's a lot to think about, but that's the whole idea around women's spaces is that we need to start thinking about things. And guess what, ladies? We're over 50% of the population. We have a lot of power, so we need to pay attention. Our vote does matter. You know, we just had a recent sheriff's race 
And I was very disappointed. The candidate that I supported only lost by 422 votes. 422 people stayed home. Actually, 423, because he needed one over that, stayed home and didn't bother to vote for such an important position like the sheriff. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. And I don't mean to sound like a lecture, but let me tell you, when you get frustrated, you got to say something and share that with your friends. You know, let them know how important it is to vote. Talk about who you're going to vote with one another. I mean, it just, it can be fun, believe it or not. And then, you know, and, and you can vote by mail. All you have to do is put, you know, I don't even believe you have to put a stamp. I don't think you have to put a stamp on it. You can go on, to, you can go to your voter registration and just drop it off on your way to work. It's so simple. I mean, Ken and I, we love it. We sit at the kitchen table and we decide what we're going to vote and what we're going to do. So <laughs> lot, there's a lot to think about. Well, as we said last month, we started something new. We're doing the Women's Spaces Pledge now. Instead of doing it in the, uh, instead of doing it in the, uh, the last Monday of the month, we're going to start doing it on the first Monday of the month. So I have two people in the, I have four people. Let's see, there's four of us now in the studio, and we're all going to do the pledge together. So what I'd like us to do is, ladies, I will say it, and then you repeat after me, and then we will say it all together. So here we go with the Women's Spaces Pledge. First line, my self-esteem. My self-esteem. Does not depend. Does not, does depend, not depend on anything. On, on anything outside of me. Outside of me. My self-esteem. My self-esteem depends, depends on my relationship. On my, on my relationship, relationship with myself. With myself and my higher power. And my higher power. Oh, I just love that. I just love that. My self-esteem does not depend on anything outside of me. My self-esteem depends on my relationship with myself and my higher power. It just gives me the chills. I read it five times before I come in the air to make sure, like, hey, what you think of me is none of my business anyway. So now we're going to all say it together, and I'm going to do one, two, three. Everybody has a card. We're going to go one, two, three. My self-esteem does not depend on anything outside of me. My self-esteem depends on my relationship with myself and my higher power. Wow, what a great, doesn't that give you a great feeling? It just oh, yeah. gives you, hey, it's the beginning of the month, October 3rd, and we're going to start the month with high self-esteem. Well, we're going to take a musical break, and we're going to be talking about a very sensitive subject, which is domestic violence. And I picked a song, it's called Warrior, sung by Demidi, Demi Lovato. In my mind, when women change patterns and speak out, they truly are warriors. When we come back, joining me in the studio is my special guest, Sarah. How do we pronounce your last name, Sarah? Kilo. Kulo. Kulo. Sarah Kulo, uh, who is a advocate for domestic violence prevention and is also a survivor of domestic violence. And we'll be talking about the domestic violence, the issue that's going on, I mean, around our country. And also uh, the 2020 uh proclamation that was made that the Family Court Awareness Month will be happening in October, and we're going to talk about that. It was so new to me, and I am so excited and so proud that these women have gotten together, and they have started something like this, and we're going to celebrate domestic violence and try to look at some of the ways to heal and some of the ways to handle it during the whole month of November. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's play that song.
This is a story that I've never told I gotta get this off my chest and let it go I need to take back the light inside you stole You're a criminal and you steal like you're a pro All the pain and the truth I wear like a battle wound So ashamed, so confused I was broken and bruised Now I'm a warrior Now I've got thicker skin I'm a warrior I'm stronger than I've ever been And my Out of the ashes, I'm burning like a fire You can save your apologies, you're nothing but a liar I've got shame, I've got scars that I will never show I'm a survivor, in more ways than you know Cause all the pain and the truth I wear like a battle wound So ashamed, so confused I'm not broken or bruised Cause now I'm a warrior now I, got I love that. I am a warrior. Well, for you folks just joining in, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. And then without further ado, I want to introduce my guest joining me in the studio is Sarah Kivlo. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you, Lane. Pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm just so happy to have you and to be able to cover this subject, like I said, that I have not been aware of. Do you mind if I tell folks just a little bit about you before we start? Well, Sarah Kirlo describes herself as a single mother and a domestic violence survivor and an activist and a scholar. She holds a master's degree in human rights education and is currently finishing a doctorate in education at the University of San Francisco. She has been then and continues to be inspired and humbled by those ordinarily, extraordinarily women in her life, namely Savire Warrior Mamas, who work tirelessly to protect, honor, and nurture their children. As a survivor herself of domestic violence, she is still is subjected to her abuser through the court-ordered and court-sanctioned violence against her children. As her abuser still, this is so amazing to me, retains 50-50 custody. Her deep belief is that to address the myriad of human rights violation taking place against women and children in the family court, we must create, support, and embrace survivor-led initiatives, organizations, and legislation. Her greatest joy and accomplishment is the mother of five, five incredible children. Well, welcome, welcome, Sarah. Is there anything you'd like to add, my friend? I'm just honored to be here, and I wanted to um, 
speak to something you said, Elaine, earlier, is we are standing on the shoulders of incredibly strong, brilliant, amazing women warriors, and be that in voting rights, uh, racial justice, or domestic violence uh, justice. I think we are all in the same boat of honoring and giving a deep moment of gratitude and thanks to those who have gone before us. We wouldn't be here otherwise. I think it's so important, you know, and and we'll be standing on your shoulders one day with all the things that you and your organization is trying to do. Well, let's start, you know, let's start about talking about, you know, I, I realize that you have been a victim of domestic violence yourself. And I mean, those experience is the best teacher you know one of the things like I was telling you before we started is that it brought back memories of me I had this I have a single child and I had to get divorced and all that I went through the violence with my ex-husband because of the upset of having to be divorced and and feeling that he was going to be left out or whatever was going on so talk about talk about what is this family a court awareness system and and what is it what is it about and why do you think it's important and identify it, how it relates to you and what happened in your situation and why you feel this is so important. And I know there was a law, I, I cannot pronounce it, is it PQ? Peaky's Law. Yeah, and, and it was it was over a young, a young child that was killed by the father because of a divorce, and it didn't pass. The legislation did not pass. So once again, you know, we're looking at some of the frustrations that women have trying to get this to get going. So talk about the Awareness Month and then kind of incorporate your own personal experience. Of course. Um, so... Peaky's Law, just to continue going on on that um, note for a minute, was SB 616, and I think there was some um, confusion or disagreement about language, um, which is often the case as a technicality, right? When important legislation is on the table, um, sometimes we miss the boat <laughs> because of, uh, you know, nitpicking around particular language or, or details, technical details. Um, so Anna was Peaky's mother and an incredible warrior mother who over and over went to the family court. She was in Southern California, but still went to the family court and begged them repeatedly to please put protective orders in place for her son, who was an infant at that point. Uh, the court did not do so, and the tragic, devastating result was was the murder of Peaky by his father. So Unfortunately, this is actually not uncommon. Um, we have hundreds of cases uh, that end in child homicide. And if anyone is interested in looking at that data, it can be found at the Center for Judicial Excellence. That's one of the um, organizations here in California that tracks that particular type of data. Um, I think the Family Court Awareness Month really organically grew out of mothers saying enough is enough. We have to have awareness around this issue. Our children are literally dying because of it. And I think when, as you said before, Elaine, when women come together in solidarity and in passion and in justice, then incredible, incredible leaps and bounds can be made. And I think that's the case. And the Family Court Awareness Month is certainly a, a testament to that. So how did you get involved and in, in with this sacred? And what do you believe is important and and what are you are doing in getting the, the getting the word out? I mean, I, I know you have your own personal experience to talk about. Yes, and I think that's really important to focus on. A lot of times we look at you know facts or data or numbers, which are very important. It's important to to back up personal experience with with that that data. However, at the end of the day, it's really about 
individuals living this horror, right, experiencing this devastation on a daily, hourly basis. And that was my experience. I have five children, um, four of whom are from a previous marriage, and it was uh, very violent. And when I tried to escape and provide protection for my children, I was told by the family court here in Northern California that I did not have a right to protect my children because their father had parental rights over those children. So actually, when you made the comment about women used to be property, I would make a strong argument that at least in the family court system here in the United States of America, we still are viewing women and children, particularly children, as property. What a sad thought. What a sad thought. So how, how were you able how how were you able to get out of it? What were some of the steps that you had to take? What are some of the things that you had to do? Well, um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the system operates on money. So the family court industry is a billion with a B, <laughs> a billion dollar industry. And um, court experts and affiliated personnel make quite a bit of money on these cases. So for instance, uh, when I came to the family court, um, I will make a side comment that my domestic violence case was rolled into, that was the terminology they used, rolled into my family court case. So I had a domestic violence case that was not never heard because it was made part of the family court case. And then proceeded to have to spend the next three years and hundreds of thousands of dollars, in my particular case, in order to provide any sort of protection for my children, who at the time were three, five, seven, and nine. So this is um, a, a travesty that we should have to pay for our children's safety. Um, that is something I would never have believed unless I'd lived through it. Well, like that's what I said, experience is the best teacher. You know, they can hear all kinds of stories, but once you, you know, that's, you know, that's why people have to recognize is that saying there, but poor fortune go you and I, you know, you hear a story, you say, well, that's not happening to me. So you go on and then all of a sudden one day it happens to you and you go, wait, wait a minute. You know, when all of all along you've been hearing things that you could, you could have supported. Well, one of the things I do, just to let my listeners do uh, know, I send, I ask my my guests for five questions that they can answer because I want to make sure that I cover what they want to cover. And so, I, according to the uh, something that you wrote that I found very uh, very interesting that I thought you could address, according to the Leadership Council on Child Abuse, and I, I this this was shocking to me, and interpersonal violence. 58,000 children a year are handed over into custody of a known abuser by the U.S. family courts system. Why is this happening? And is the service, is the, is the system serving this issue? Or are we failing, or are we failing to provide services and support for victims of domestic violence? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, I was shocked at this number as well. I, I think often when we um, encounter injustice, or when I did at least, uh, we say, oh, well, that was just a mistake. That was a fluke, right? That was a one-off case. Um, and this is something that I heard when I would tell people my story initially, which was about 10 years ago now. And actually, it's not. <laughs> it's not a fluke. Um, the system is perpetrating violence against women and children. It's state-condoned. It's state-condoned as the U.S. Family Court is a state-condoned system. And this state-condoned system is perpetrating violence against domestic violence victims who are trying to provide safety for themselves and their children. 
I think something that's, um, I guess, helpful to understand why is this 10 Myths About Custody and Domestic Violence fact sheet by the American Bar Association. So again, the ABA is a pretty well-known and renowned um, organization, and they themselves did a study because this was so prevalent. And this is now over 10 years old, so it's continued to be of significance. And the myths range from um, any ill effects of domestic violence on children are minimal and short-term, Mothers frequently invent allegations of child sexual abuse to win custody. Domestic violence has nothing to do with child abuse. That was something that was brought up in my case particularly. I experienced domestic violence, but no, the father couldn't possibly perpetrate against the children. It just was about me. And what we see actually is that there's a comorbidity, right? So when domestic violence is perpetrated against the woman and she leaves with the children to to get safety, Actually, the risk of violence against the children escalates. It does not de-escalate. So that is an important myth, I think, to, well, to look at. Well, especially what happened with that young boy. I mean, the fact that, you know, Absolutely. here she's been crying for some support and goes and gets divorced, and he's 50-50, and then the next thing you know. And it's a kind of, I see it as kind of a, because when I looked at my even my own history and, and what happened to me, I saw I, th- I saw it as a revenge thing. Because for, for me, it was my husband was set my daughter on his lap. And it, there I was for a whole week threatening to go to New York. And if she would have gone to New York, I could have lost her. You know, and then to go through that horror and there was no place to turn. There was, you know, it was, and back then they didn't even have, one-third of the programs they have now. So, I mean, thank goodness that at least we have something. We have something to go to. Well, that's very interesting. You know, I would like you to give me that copy of that 10. You know, we're very happy to put it on our on our website to, to, uh, to, let, to inform people because there are so many myths, so many myths. I mean, it's just like abortion. You want to have an abortion as a form of birth control. I mean, it's just all these stupid things that people come up with. It's just, it's, it's frustrating sometimes. Well, listen, my friend, Sarah, we're going to take a musical break now. If that's okay, just hang with me. And there's a song that I decided to play. It's called We Are the Women, and it's sung by Betsy Rosen, <coughs> excuse me, in the women's choir. And the reason I, 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 playing this song is because we have to recognize that women must come together. You know, if you if you have any spiritual beliefs, like for myself, I believe that women have been given the, 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 the blessing to bring forth life, and we have to protect that life. And our children, once you, what, in my mind, I mean, and sometimes my friends say, well, what are you talking about? In my mind, when you become a mother, you are mother to all children. Because what can happen to one mother's child can happen to another mother's child. So you have to protect all children. Because, you know, you never, you never know, even in the most sophisticated, most educated, most of the one family that you would say, oh, my God, that's the perfect family. You never know what's going on behind closed doors. So it's very important to recognize that. But as women gathering together, it's... It's, it's very, very powerful. So let's go ahead and play that. And when we come back, we will continue our conversation about domestic violence and about the uh, awareness month that's happening at the court systems in November with Sarah Curlow. So let's go ahead, Ken. We are the women giving birth to tomorrow. We are the women who are present today. We are the women who know hope and sorrow. 
women giving birth to tomorrow. We are the women who are present today. We are the women who know hope and sorrow. Women who Yes, we are the women with the vision of the future. And I'm telling you something. If once we gather, and we are gathering, we're gathering in Iran, we're gathering in the United States. On October 8th, we're going to have another protest, a national protest against abortion rights, that we have a right to choose over our own bodies. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm very excited. I'm continuing my conversation with Sarah Curlow. We're talking about domestic violence and the Family Court Awareness Month, which will be happening in November. Well, welcome back, uh, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. And and let's just talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things you said early part of the interview was you said that money what what part does money play in the continuation of these human rights violations of women and children? Talk a little bit about that. Yes, I, I think your your line was follow the money. And I, I agree, uh, sadly, that this is big business. And um, there's a term called a repugnant business that is um, referring to uh, monetary or business systems that grow up out of something that is immoral, illegal, or harmful. And that is what we're seeing in the family court system. We have a myriad of professionals. We have court custody evaluators. We have mediators. We have co-parent counselors. We have co-parent coaches. We, we have counselors for the children. We have, I, I would say, it could be 10 professionals involved in one case. And each of these people are making tens of thousands of dollars on each case. So it is a huge industry. And as soon as you try to not have those professionals involved, um, you are reprimanded or deprived of uh, custody of your children. So it is a big business. Well, with all that, with all that support, supposedly, you think that this wouldn't happen? That it would, it would be there would be less issues. Uh, we just got a report that there's been over already over a hundred young people that have already been killed because of 
domestic violence and things that are happening within the families. So, so why do you, why do you think that's an issue? Why do you think it happens? It continues to happen this way. And why why this fifty fifty split? You know, you're going to get fifty, even though, I mean, don't they have records like the the woman may be calling up and getting a restraining order, and and still at the same time that man will still get fifty fifty. That's correct, um, because that is the presumption here in California. And in uh, a lot of states across the United States, um, the presumption is that 50-50 is to be reached. That is the goal of the court, is that people share equal access to the child. Again, this is what makes me lean towards the idea that uh, the child is looked at as a form of property uh, between the parents, instead of looking at the child as a human who has inalienable human rights and is somebody to be honored, respected, and, you know, cared for. It, it's turned into, well, how much percentage of time and, and, and this division of, of uh, child custody. Well, you know what's so interesting, Sarah? You know, when, when you sent me the questions and you had on, a, you talked about the Children's Bill of Rights, which something I, be, I, was on a, I was on the Human Rights Commission here in Sonoma County, and I brought it up, and I'm going to bring it up again. In fact, after, after, after going through this and the Awareness Month and new things came up, it sparked me. But you know, in the United Nations, it has not passed. You know, it's been it's been brought up several several times, and I and I think to myself, why, why? I mean, children. I mean, imagine if you did have this children of human rights. You know that they do have rights. Some of this stuff can be stopped. So talk a little bit about that. You know, talk about what do you see the big picture in this crisis, and how do you see passing the Children's Bill of Rights as part of the solution. You know, and like I said, this is something I'm very interested. In. How do you see that part of solution, and what 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 are what's the big picture in your mind? I think, um, and I'd like to take a moment to honor um, many of the women who are not able to speak up. And I have a dear friend and colleague um, who could not speak up today because of the restrictions that the family court puts on many of us. Um, that if we do speak, we will lose custody. That will be um, retribution or um, uh, reprimands from the court. So I, I would like to honor that piece of it because many of us don't have the luxury of speaking up. And for children, it's manifold. I mean, it's, it's even more, right, because they do not have rights to begin with. And so the idea of a children's bill of rights and acknowledging the, the dignity and worth of children uh, is crucial. Uh, it's, a, it's a culture shift. We have to make a shift culturally. I don't believe it's just another law or just another, you know, bill or just another piece of legislation. Those are important. They're crucial parts. But in essence, it's about a cultural shift. Our hearts have to shift. You cannot legislate belief. And if you do not believe that children have inalienable rights and women are worth, you know, protecting and, and honor and dignity, then laws are easily ignored and laws are easily misinterpreted. And many of us have cases where all these court-involved professionals said, well, we know that domestic violence laws exist, but your case isn't a domestic violence case. We're going to term it something else. So I think there's ways to um, make it something that it's not if we don't truly believe in our hearts that women and children are worth, you know, um, love and protection and dignity. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. One of, one of the things I remember very clearly being a child, hearing over and over, children should be seen and not heard. 
you know, and 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 that is really that is so punishing, especially when you're in a in a family that's having all these kind of difficulties. You know, I remember when I was a, a counselor, I was doing an internship at one of the junior high schools, and I was handling all the difficult children, and I was just, I was just shocked at at some of the things that I found out what were going on in families, you know, that all of a sudden they say, oh, I was Miss Pine at the time. Oh, Miss Pine, you're not to tell anybody, you know, you you know, like it's it's almost like this big secret, but they're finally, they're finally, uh, they're finally addressing it with the council. Well, what, what do you see? How do you see things changing? I mean, here this law, you know, has not passed. Is it up again? Are they changing the language? Or, you know, what's going on with that? And what are some other things that you see? And then we're very quickly coming to the end of the segment to let us know about the websites and, and any suggestions you have to people, how they can support you and your effort here in Sonoma County and a little bit more about the some of the things that people can do in November. Uh, during this month of awareness. Absolutely. Well, I think um, four key tenets to solving this problem is recognizing, right, awareness, which is what you are uplifting and helping us with, Elaine, so we're deeply grateful for that. Prevention, um, having compassion (laughs) and an impartial um, gaze, right, when we're looking at these cases, and then um, accountability. So what happens when the system does fail our children, which it has been? And I think as far as... um, the laws and legislation, especially SB 616, I hope that they will um, continue to look at the language and move forward with that. Um, everybody can certainly uh, call in um, to your local representative and say that, yes, this is something I support. I want to see this legislation passed. And for Family Court Awareness Month next month in November, um, that's also something that you can go um, to your county and make them aware of this, that this is something that's happening across the country. And we ask that our local representatives, our local law enforcement, our local DAs are aware of this and aware that they are part of the solution. Um, if they're willing to have conversations with survivors and willing to be part of survivor-led initiatives. Well, I know here in Sonoma County, we have the Family Law Center, you know, and I know that was started by our 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 district attorney Jill Ravage, and I know she's very passionate about it. So, are they? Do they have any plans, or do they acknowledge? How is that? How is that? Uh, is that acknowledged for you? You believe? Um, not particularly acknowledged um, by by that particular center, um, and I would hope that they will embrace that and support these endeavors in the future. Well, maybe that's something we can do, you know, make a call because I know, I know, I know District Attorney Ravage is going to be her last term. She's going to be leaving. I can't believe she'll be leaving the, at the end of this year. That, be, you know, it might be something that, that, that we could involve her with is her last hurrah, so to speak. And another thing that, that I, I know that Senator Susan Rubio, R-U-B-I-O, she was very, very uh, instrumental in bringing this bill. Do you think people should write her or give support or what, what are some ideas there? Absolutely. Um, Senator Rubio has been a champion <laughs> of uh, children's rights and women's rights when it comes to domestic violence. Um, also, Mark Stone um, is another one. And so, yes, we would encourage folks to continue to reach out to our supporters, right, our representatives who are supportive of this legislation and say that it's crucial. It's still needed. It will continue to be needed until this is resolved. So do you have a website or any way they can uh, they can get a hold of you or... 
Yes. So um, the two websites uh, that are most impactful would be uh, the California Protective Parents Association website and One Mom's Battle, which you um, referenced at the beginning um, of the show. So uh, caprotectiveparents.org is one of the websites and then onemomsbattle.com. And those two um, will have a myriad, um, you know, number of resources and avenues for getting involved. And the most important thing is there's a woman out there that, that's experiencing that. Yes. Do you have a, any way they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, you're welcome to share my email um, with your listeners. It's just fine. It's Sarah E. Curlo at gmail.com. And that's K-E-R-L-O-W. Correct. Well, Sarah, thank you. Sarah Cola, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest on Human Spaces and for the work that you're doing on behalf of women and children and this, this really frustrating and disturbing issue. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Ken. Well, folks, that's it for our show. You know, a special thank you to Sarah Corlo for coming in and talking about uh, her own survival as it, from domestic violence and also bringing the awareness that uh, in November we will be having the Family Court Awareness Month. And I'd like to do a shout-out for all the women out there that are working on this. And my heart goes out to any woman out there who might be having some issues. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being with you next time. And remember, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. This Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, October 3rd, 2022.